one of the things that, that Will was saying was that he, he saw ChatGPT as a creative ping pong partner in his creative process. Um, it's not the thing that creates for him, it's the thing that partners with him to help him come up and iterate on ideas really fast. In the world of technology, heroes are everywhere. They're overcoming disruption, delivering sustainable outcomes, and fearlessly forging the future to solve what's next. Join me, Ed McNamara, as we meet the people and businesses driving change in our constantly disruptive world. This is Innovation Heroes, a podcast brought to you by SHI. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Innovation Heroes. Uh, before we dive in, just a quick reminder that our show is now available on YouTube as well as all your favorite audio podcast platforms. Don't forget to subscribe and join our growing community of innovation enthusiasts. Today, we're going to be talking about the buzzword of the year, Gen AI, the next generation of AI that is set to transform industries and human experiences. It's all over the news, all over the tech conferences, all over our social media feeds. But amidst all the hype and excitement, there's one group that is going somewhat unnoticed for now, and that's the IT leaders who are tasked with actually building these AI systems and making them work in the real world. It's a mammoth task, a blend of technical expertise, strategic thinking, and a dash of courage to embrace the new. Uh, that I think that we're all going to need in the years ahead. Uh, that's exactly what we're going to explore today. We're turning the spotlight on these unsung heroes and diving into the nitty gritty of what it takes to bring AI from concept to reality. And who better to guide us through this journey than a true innovation hero, Stacy Schulman. Stacy is a vice president at Intel and general manager of health, education, and consumer industries. She is charged with growing these vital vertical industries, and her team incubates emerging technologies, directs research and development, and influences standards and policy in these industries. She's been a friend to Innovation Heroes, not just being a guest on our show for the past four seasons, but always the first guest that we feature each season. She always has insights, stories, use cases that leave us inspired and enlightened. Stacy, welcome back to Innovation Heroes. And thanks for having me. I love this show, so... <laughs> happy to happy to be on anytime you want. Thanks for that. And thanks for, for being great about sitting there while we say nice things about you. It's something that I can't do personally, but you you, you came through it well. So you've been here four times And you made me do before. it on camera this time too. So <laughs> Wait, Add to the torture, right? Um, you've been here four times before, but our listeners um, who haven't met you yet, um, can you share your journey into the technology industry and your role at Intel? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I started my journey into tech, oh, feels like ages ago. Um, I won't age myself right now, but I started off in, um, in the retail space, uh, helping Walmart uh, migrate from book-based buying to digital, digital buying, which I basically just aged myself there when I said I wasn't going to, um, but, but jumped into, um, uh, into the software side of things and for 15 years built software for retail and manufacturing companies and then jumped over on and became a CIO using the actual software that I built, which um, if you've never done that, it's quite painful. Um, you realize how good you really are and, and how much you were full of it. Um, and, you know, the, 
real life is different in theory, that's for sure. And so that's uh, that was the, the lesson that I learned early days. And then jumped into the innovation side of things from there. Um, joined Intel about six years ago and um, have just been having fun since. Excellent. So today we're talking about what everyone's talking about these days, and it's AI, and in particular, uh, Gen AI. Um, how have how have the organizations you work with been impacted most, and what are some of the most captivating use cases that you've seen so far? Yeah, it's 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 funny because generative AI, you know, we it really like if you look at open AI, it it's been out for less than a year, and. What's interesting about this is, uh, in less than a year, we all already feel behind. You know, so we're mm. so it, it, you know we've talked a lot on this show in particular about how innovation is accelerating, and um, I don't even know that we all felt that it would accelerate this fast. You know, that who who thought that you would be behind in AI on a new topic in under a year, and not only behind, like what we're seeing now is. The CEOs are getting calls from their board asking them, what are you doing about generative AI and what is your AI strategy? And then they're going to their CEO and then that CEO is going to their CIO or CDO or whichever C is, is handling that kind of work. And they're asking them the question of what are we doing? What's our plan? And what I'm finding is that a lot of the CIOs that I've talked to feel caught off guard. You know, they... You know, we've we've all been experimenting with different things in AI around automation, but what we didn't, I don't think any of us expected was how fast this would accelerate um, when we started getting into these large language models and transformer models. And so the, so I would say, you know, before that's context to say, like when I start talking about use cases, it's all really new. I mean, within months of, of, of having these conversations. And so I, I think we're still at early days of really understanding of how to get beyond the hype of some of this and then get beyond the the automation of marketing collateral and automation of um, content development and, and that sort of thing, which is where a lot of people are testing now. And then what do we get into, you know, as we're, we start maturing our thinking on this and our point of view, how do we make sure that these technologies can be used for real, like, um, not just automation, but also in the consumer industries that, that, that I'm in, how do we make sure that the customer facing side of the, these technologies enhance that experience and instead of taking away from the experience, we don't want to roboticize the experience. We want to enhance it and make it more personal, more human. And how do we make sure that these technologies do that? Yeah, it, it in terms of it only being a year and already feeling left behind, just from the marketing terms that you hear, like I still see marketing campaigns where people are saying, Are you explore you know, are you researching your journey to the cloud? And I'm like, Are people still researching their journey to the cloud? I feel like that was <laughs> right? like you know, yeah. <laughs> a, that was like you're you you are behind if you're still researching your journey to the cloud, right? But like <laughs> right. AI is just a whole nother ball game, isn't it? Yeah, completely. And, and this is kind of one of the things that I've been talking about is, if nothing else, this topic of generative AI and um, the acceleration of this has put those other conversations into perspective a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, because you're right, if you're still doing an ROI analysis on whether you need an e-commerce site, you know, <laughs> you, you, you probably have already lost the game. 
and right. um, and you need to have a different conversation. And, and yeah, if you're still trying to figure out what the cloud is and researching your journey to the cloud, who, um, you know, there's some you got a, you got a hard hard road ahead. Yeah, you had a decade decade to get here, but AI is different now. AI truly does like people who are all over those other things, and and really, I think the difference between just from from what I'm seeing is that you know when it came to the to the cloud you know it, it it felt like that was like IT's problem right like ai feels like it's like and i really should, i should rephrase it, it it's not IT's problem that's IT's solution to leverage right ai feels right. like it's there for everyone right well you know i think that you know if you think of the cloud like when how salesforce exploited it you know, they mm. went to the operators, they went to the, the business side and said, hey, if your IT team's moving too slow, just come to us. Um, right. It wasn't the message, but it was the kind of the message, right? <laughs> and, um, and I think that we're in that moment again now with AI is what I'm seeing is that I've seen, and this was the eye opener for me, and I'm, I'm guilty of this myself as well. I also was caught off guard by the speed of this. And I like to pride myself on being current and staying current right. on emerging tech. So I knew the tech, but I was caught off guard at the speed. Um, and then the other thing that I was caught off guard on was who was adopting it. That was the eye opener for me. It wasn't the technicians that were adopting it. It was the practitioners that were adopting it. It was the people who were writing marketing campaigns and content developers and you know, uh, artists, uh, musicians, uh, people that I just, you know, had, wouldn't have thought as early adopters of AI were, were kind of going all in and using this. A creative community is what overall in general is what surprised me is how fast they were embracing this. In hindsight, it makes total sense now. But at the, you know, I'll say a month ago, two months ago, I was a little surprised. In terms of you know what you're seeing out there, um, is that is it is it already impacting you know what people are looking for in you know future prospective employees? Like, are, are there already like you know shifts happening where you know from business owners who are looking at their ne their next generation of employees, is it already having an impact there in terms of a desired skill set? I think so. I think that the the conversations that I'm having, there's a few. One is. Um, we need people who know how to ask better questions, which is kind of an interesting skill set, right? It makes sense even as an employee, like be good at asking, you know, questions and finding ways to get information, you know, so that that is one thing that I'm, I'm starting to see come into focus. The other thing, you know, not just in skill set, but in job title, um, there's a growing um, discussion around the chief AI officer. And this this concept that there's not you're going to have to have somebody that focuses on this. It's an area that moves way too fast and it probably is not going to be serviced well sitting under the office of the CIO unless the, the CIO has a dedicated person. But the chief AI officer needs to be this blend of how would I use it in the business? What is meaningful? What isn't? Um, of course, CIOs can do that where you have CIOs that are more strategic CIOs and less order takers. But um, I, that's the, the conversation that I'm seeing. 
And it reminds me a little bit, remember when we all talked about the chief data officer when that was like the new thing mm-hmm. and there was arguments over the CIO and whether the, who was going to be the CIO or the C- chief data officer who would have the, the power. Well, I think there's a, there's a new officer in town and this is the, the chief AI officer. And, um, if, if I were still a CIO, I'd be positioning myself as, as the chief AI officer right now, um, is what I would be doing. So I, I think I always, that's that's one of those those roles that I'm seeing start to come up more and more. And and in terms of a, of a characteristic, I always said I'm looking for you know as somebody who was hiring in the marketing side of things. I'm like I want people who are curious. And now I'm almost like I think you need to be curious and maybe even a little skeptical, you know, because of you know you you've got to question some of the things that that are you know you're doing. Um, you know, some of the work that's coming back. Don't you have to have a little bit of skepticism yeah. right now just to double check, you know, what's coming back? It's like, yeah, this passes at least the the initial eyeball test. Yeah, and that's the, I think that's going to be the learning. I, I agree. I, I think, um, you know, using the output of generative AI as your first draft, um, I'm, right. I applaud. I think it, and it's really powerful. I use it almost every day myself, but you're right. There's, um, you know, there's hallucinations, which is our new term, right? For AI, the hallucinations term, um, there are hallucinations in the data, you know, or, you know, just blatant falsehoods in the data sometimes that comes back because it is a probabilistic model. It's not deterministic. And so it is using probabilistic methodologies to, to determine what it's going to say. And so, yeah, that thing might be the most likely, but it might not be true. Um, I, you know, most of us have probably already used it to, to look up ourselves in generative AI and see what it would say. I love the version that generative AI has about me. It's great. It made up new job titles for me and it made up a whole history. Yeah. And I think it's fantastic. I am not in a hurry to correct that. I, I, I hope you all look at it and see how awesome it thinks I am. But it is definitely a hallucination. Um, and, uh, you know, we have to look at those things and be really scrutinize what's coming out of it and do a, the next level of research on it to make sure that it's correct and um, in context. I, I wish we would have, it's a missed opportunity to, to use the word hallucinations when people were generating those hallucinations, you know, on their own, right? That, that would have been, yeah. a, but that would have been an, an HR issue or something. I don't know. It's, 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 it's cruel if it's a person doing that. It's perfectly fine if you're, if the machine's hallucinating. So uh, anyway. Well, we don't want to say that machines are lying to... to us, so we have to use a different word, right? But... Right, right. People are liars. Machines are hallucinating. Got it. Totally. Um, so <laughs> preparing for this interview. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, preparing for this interview, you told our producers that you see AI as the contextualization of data that we've been missing. You know, Can you elaborate yeah. on that idea and just give some examples of how this contextualization is, is making an impact? Yeah, I mean, when we look at this is to me, it's the most kind of compelling part of it and what we need to how we how I think about it in terms of like the use cases that it could service. So, yeah, it's not just it's not Google. It doesn't just spit out information Mm -hmm. from an index to you. It takes the information and and looks at based on all this information, what what is the context of what you're asking. 
and here's the answer in the context of the question. Um, mm. Versus, I think if you look at the a generative AI chatbot versus kind of more traditional chatbots, more traditional chatbots were more decision trees. Um, you ask this, I ask you this. Um, and then I, I get deeper into the decision tree based on your answers. Whereas um, generative AI is more about getting the context out of the question and, and then answering it um, based on the inferred context of it. That's good, but it can also be bad, right? We have to be, we have to be more intentional in inserting context in the question um, now to get a better, to get a better response. And so when you look at it that way, so from a chatbot perspective, I see context is really important. Um, but then, you know, you look at also for integration work. Um, we've, we've done lots of tests and some of our developers have, have done really good work on using generative AI to generate code that can do integration between, you know, one program and another. Well, a lot of the integration and understanding how this field maps to this field is based on the context of how the field is being used, um, not just how it's being documented, but how it's being used. And so generative AI, if trained well, can actually glean that context and do the integration in a, in a better way. We're seeing a lot of really good stuff come out of that. And so for the developer ecosystem, that's our most painful part of development, you know, when we've got to integrate systems together. And um, if generative AI can start doing that, that first draft of that integration work, um, because it can glean out the context of, of how to integrate those fields together or whatever it's integrating, that, that could start being pretty interesting. Absolutely. Um... I, I always love talking to you because I always love to hear who, who you've been interacting with. And I heard that you've had a chance to work with some notable creatives like Will I Am and, and Norman Lear, which for a lot of folks out there is a legendary TV producer of All in the Family and a uh, and, uh, hundred other, other shows. You know, what has that been like and how are these creatives using AI to test out like new concepts and ideas? Yeah, so um, Will... Uh, you know, one, I'm just impressed with him. Um, he is always early into tech. Um, he, uh, he's early into general technology. He was early into Tesla uh, before Elon Musk was in there. He was early into other types of technology. And most people don't know this about him, but um, he's, a, he's a technologist at heart. Um, he got into generative AI really early and one of the products that he's building, and you know, I'll share with you the stuff that's public, is um, mm -hmm. a, a an application for creative collaboration. And so, the way he describes it is, you've got you know creatives that that come in and and um, uh, when they're collaborating on something, that collaboration sits in a lot of different properties. Um, it'll sit sometimes in WhatsApp and sometimes in text and sometimes on, you know, uh, OneDrive and sometimes in documents. And so what he built was a tool that allows you to do that collaboration. And then where generative AI comes in is, you know, he had this concept of a lot of us, like if you're in the tech industry and you've been in the tech industry a long time, you have access to um, big thinkers and, and other technicians um, but the, the masses do not have that kind of access, the kind of access that, that a lot of us have um, in the tech industry. 
And so what he wanted to do was give them access and democratize access to the way people think through chatbots. So if you're collaborating, let's create a legal chatbot that you can bring the legal chatbot into the collaboration and have it um, provide advice based on what it's hearing. Again, that's that context, contextualized advice. So as I'm listening to the chat, the chatbot can pick up on the contextual clues and give legal advice. Again, first draft legal advice, but it's it's to help with the collaboration and the thinking about it. Or you may want to bring in a chatbot that behaves and thinks and, and responds like Elon Musk or a chatbot that, that responds like Bill Gates or whoever your favorite kind of technologist is, you might want to bring them into the conversation via chatbot. And so when we think of these collaboration tools, um, that's one of the things that Will thought of is let's make sure that you've got a suite of chatbots that you can bring in that behave and act and um, uh, participate the way that somebody would from these, you know, these from a list of, of categories. And so that's that's one of the the solutions that we saw with with Will, and it's 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 pretty fantastic. Again, shows that you know in the creative community, uh, they he's been on this for a while and um, already has a full you know fully baked product ready to go. And then Norman, um, I've um, you know the, the, we have some friends in common and. Norman, when he heard about ChatGPT, his first thing, and Norman's 101, his first thing was, <laughs> I want to learn how to use it. And, um, you know, you, you got to love, like, when you when we talk about always, like, having a, a you know, the, the mindset of a continuous lifelong learner, Norman's it. Um, you know, he wanted yeah. to learn how to use ChatGPT. And one of the things that, that he's going through is, how do you take and reimagine some of his old shows in modern times and use ChatGPT to do um, that? And and what does that look like? And um, you know, there's get more to come out on that soon. But it's it's really been delightful to see this 101 year old fully immerse himself into ChatGPT. And so, um, what I tell people is like, look, anybody can learn it. This is this is not hard stuff to do. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of really interesting creative things come out from the creative community with this tool. And if anybody, if, if, if you're, you know, among the, the younger folks out there in the audience and you find yourself on Norman Lear's Wikipedia page, get ready to lose like a half hour or so because it, it just keeps going and going and going. So, yeah, at, he turns 101 next month. Yeah. That's right. And uh, what it, it's interesting to me because I'm a huge television fan and I always knew that he was such a big proponent of like testing with like live people, right? Like, you know, he's, he's like, you know, how's a live studio audience going to respond to this? And now the fact that he's yeah. just like, yeah, now I'm going to use this, this, this other tool, you know, in, in, in term and in, in, in a creative way, that's just not people, but you know, can provide, I'm not going to say it's the same feedback, but could still give me feedback on, on, or, or, or help me create is just, I it's the coolest thing at, at 101 years. It's a creative partner. And I think that's the main thing that I heard. Um, one of the things that, that Will was saying was that he, he saw chat GPT as a creative ping pong partner in his creative process. Um, it's not the thing that creates for him. It's the thing that partners with him to help him mm. come up and iterate on ideas really fast. And, um, you know, he kind of took it a little further and said, you know, as a creative, most creatives understand this this point, which is you run out of people to call. 
um, to, to, to test your ideas with. And so <laughs> his whole thing is like iterate with, you know, chat GPT first and then, then make those calls so you don't burn out your friend group on your ideas. Um, but that's, you know, I think that's one, one way of doing the creation, but there's some really, really interesting things coming out from the creative space in this world. And, and I know that um, when when we've talked on on previous episodes, uh, we 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 often talk about you know your your background in in retail and your work with 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 healthcare, um, you know providers. You, you know, are there some more um, you know general ways you think the IT industry will be disrupted by these emerging technologies? And I should say like the, the IT that powers specifically like retail and healthcare. Have you have you seen any uh, use cases there? Yeah, a lot in the healthcare. I actually think healthcare is ahead of the rest of the industries. Um, and you know, if you look at if you're if you're kind of watching what Microsoft did with Nuance, um, you know, they saw this coming a while ago. And Microsoft, um, I'm pretty impressed with their strategy here. Actually, um, so they bought Nuance, and Nuance is a, a product used in the the medical industry to um, to be able to you know understand do a natural language understanding and you take that and you you combine it with chat gpt that can be trained locally on local hospital information patient data you know that can keep it all you know secure and and safe but the, the way that i see it starting to come alive in the hospitals is let's say a doctor can start asking questions about the patient you know in and chat gpt has been or you know that that localized model has been fully trained on the patient record and has all of the information that you would ever need um, memorized from every medical book, every every rare disease, every everything, and it can answer questions with a level of precision and professionalism that's that's really impressive um, in the medical space. So a doctor you know yes they still have to look at it and they still have to use their professional experience to translate what they're seeing but you know imagine having a, a bank of 20 other doctors in the room that are well versed right. on the patient and they all may have a different opinion but for the doctor who has to make the decision they're being informed by all of these other opinions that are really well educated opinions and so yeah, the doctor still has to make the call, but but that's a lot of great input for for the clinician and the doctor. So that's that's the way I see it working in in the healthcare space. And then you kind of step into what could you do in retail in the same way. You know, I don't want to call the the, the customer a patient, but imagine something that has all the information on the the customer's buying patterns and all the information about how that product is performing in the market um, and you know the, the psychographic information about that that customer and understands like other people who who are looking at this product they also like these other things we have that online but imagine that being delivered right into the hands real time of the person that you're standing in front of that's helping you they're still going to make a, an informed decision based on what they know about the product and what they know about you and talking to you, but they get a more well-informed decision about that um, that's informed through these other tools. So those are some of the ways that we're seeing it used besides automation um, for whether it's patient care or, or customer care, but that's, 
we'll see. This is going to be a fun space to watch. Absolutely. So there's there's obviously just so much hype around uh, Gen AI, but I don't want to make the interview all about you know the 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 blue sky stuff. So let's pivot to some of the challenges and the roadblocks. Like, you know, what have you seen, you know, observing out in the field? What's, what's holding back everyday IT leaders from using AI and, or what steps do they need to, to follow in order to get there and, and use it to its, uh, to, to its capacity? I mean, I shouldn't say capacity because who knows what that is, but use it to, you know, to make their jobs easier and that of their end users. Yeah, I would say that, you know, you, you can't take chat GPT as is at the moment. And, and I, I wouldn't recommend using it for anything sensitive or confidential at the moment, as is. I wouldn't push confidential or sensitive information into the APIs. Um, I don't think that would be well advised for any, any company. Um, so the, the, the hurdle is really, you know, to be able to use it with more sensitive company information, um, you're going to have to have a localized copy and fine-tune the ChatGPT model. Um, you know, with your own data. And so that I think is the, the hurdle for people to get beyond. And, um, uh, you know, there's lots of solutions starting to come out about that. Um, you know, if you look at um, stability.ai, they've got a lot of good open source stuff coming out as well that, that helps solve this problem. Um, uh, Scale AI is, is working on it, Landing AI, they have got solutions that they're working on. But I think that that's going to be the challenge, and and that would be my caution flag to anybody. Uh, if you're going to use ChatGPT, um, be aware that it, it would never. Nobody would think like it was a good idea to take their sensitive information and push it out into a public forum. Um, right. uh, and let's not be confused. ChatGPT is still relatively a public forum for um, your your data, and so. If you're using it in a way that it, it wouldn't really violate anybody's privacy or anything like, or your company trade secrets, fine. But if you have trade secrets and you want to train this and, and you need you have sensitive information, you need to remain private, be aware that you're going to have to put in the right solution and architect it appropriately. Okay. So I know that you... You spend a, a lot of time thinking about other technologies and other emerging technologies, even though that um, you know Gen AI is just dominating everything. You know what else is on your radar this, these days? Like what shouldn't be overlooked by IT leaders? You know while the buzz is focused in in the the, gen, the AI and Gen AI direction. Yeah, here's where I'm somewhat biased. Okay, so let me declare my bias up front, and that is, <laughs> you know, I sit in the network and edge group at Intel. And I do have a bias right. that I think that, you know, as we saw everybody kind of, we talked about the cloud earlier, you know, there was this swing to the cloud and um, now we're starting to see a bit of a correction back um, to on-prem or back to the edge. You know, a lot of data is, the data growth at the edge and the way I say, what I mean by edge is anything that sits outside of a data center, um, is, is the way that I would define the edge. Um, you know, mm -hmm. so if you look at kind of the on-premise edge, whether that would be a hospital or a retail store or a schoolhouse, um, the data growth there is outpacing data growth anywhere. And the, the, the idea of trying to take that data and move it to the cloud to, to, so that you can get insights on it, I think those days are done. I, I think the distributing out 
compute and moving the algorithm to where the data is, is where I see, you know, where we have to go because you can't, you just can't physically move all that data. And so we either ignore it and we don't get the insights out of the data that, you know, most of the data that we generate, or we find ways to move the algorithm and the compute to the data and then um, uh, get the insights and share the insights up and, and centralize those on the cloud. And so this um, distributed compute and all the architectures around distributed compute is um, one of the things that I think shouldn't be ignored. Um, and architectures and infrastructure, DevOps, everything should be put in place in a way that allows people to not care where the data is, but um, you know, put the data where the service level agreement is going to be satisfied the best. You know, if I need a timely insight, you might need to process and get the insight on the data where it's at. Um, so that's, I'd say, it's not as fun to talk about as generative AI, but you know, that's the plumbing that's going to make all the rest of this work. And um, as IT people I know and, and technologists, we, we do like to be in the plumbing as well. We like to get that architecture right. So that's one that I would look at. Absolutely, it's not an insignificant, um, you know, set of characteristics that you were talking about in terms of that that amount of data, you know, and and, and where it's growing at that rate is is uh, pretty pretty amazing. Um, wanted to have a, a call out for for Redivider. Um, we're getting ready for an interview with them, and they mentioned you as one of their advisors. What are you doing with Redivider? Uh, yeah. That you know, <laughs> and, and and what should we be talking to them about in uh, in a future episode? Yeah, um, I was asked to be um, on their advisory board some time back. We have some uh, friends in common, and um, I love what they're doing. I love how they're doing it, you know, taking taking and moving compute. You know, they also believe in edge compute, so uh, moving compute and putting it into opportunity zones with clean power, um, That that's a need. Um, it's a need to have compute out in the, you know, out at the edges. I think it's um, responsible. It's a you know it's it's a responsibility to be able to do that in a way that um, does it with clean power, um, reusable, clean, and and then even more responsible and just the right thing to do to put it in areas that can generate jobs and regenerate um, uh, local jobs and community jobs where where these um, small data centers are going. And so yeah, I'm of course a big fan of theirs. Excellent, excellent. Now we're we'll, we'll looking forward to uh, to speaking with them in a, in a future future episode. So I'm looking at the clock on the wall, and it's telling me it's just about time to go. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us today, Stacy. Your insights into the world of AI and the important work being done by IT leaders is always enlightening. And to our listeners, we're just grateful, you know, for your continued support and joining us on this journey. So, um, you know, Stacy, you know, thanks again. Thank you for having me. And, um, you know, it's always fun to chat with you, Ed. Absolutely. So we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and another exciting innovation hero for you to meet. Until then, keep questioning, keep learning, and keep pushing boundaries. I'm your host, Ed McNamara, and this has been Innovation Heroes and SHI Podcast. Mm -hmm.